Salam and hello. Welcome to Uproot. My name is Lily Bakella Piper and thank you for tuning in today. Have you ever been at a dinner party or met somebody new and after some casual pleasantries, they'll ask you, so what do you do? That simple question has definitely caused me some anxiety over the years because it's not so simple when you know what people want to hear is what field you're in or what your job title is. But what if you don't have either? The term trailing spouse was coined in 1981 by Mary Bravlo, a writer for the U.S.-based publication The Wall Street Journal. She described trailing spouses as wives who sacrifice their careers for their husbands. Over the years, that term has grown to include all partners who move either domestically or globally in support of the careers of their partner, often without any job security of their own. Living mobile and global lives as members of military, diplomatic, private sector, or humanitarian service families comes with many wonderful benefits. But often, it does not come with professional opportunities for one partner in the relationship due to work permits or language barriers or visa restrictions. So that what do you do question becomes much more complicated when what you really want to talk about is who you are. Today on the show, I've invited three friends to share their experiences of being this trailing spouse, sorry, we don't love the term around here, and what they've done to make the most of their international experiences. Hane, Suzanne, and Donovan, welcome to Uproot. Please take a moment and tell our listeners who you are, a little bit about your home country, professional background, and how long you've lived in Kenya. Hane, we'll let you start first. Okay, thank you. My name is Hane Fink Ferdinand. Uh, I'm from Denmark, and I've lived in Kenya for four years, um, and I'm staying on so far. Um, I hate the question too, So, <laughs> but I think I've started explaining that or telling people in answer to that question of what I do is that I'm a trainer and facilitator and coach, and uh, I create space for people to change Great. in various ways. Welcome, Hani. And is Kenya your first international posting as a family? As a family, yes, but as a, uh, in, in, with my partner, mm -hmm. I've been living in Nepal also, but okay. then I've been on my own, I've been traveling and living in many different countries okay. at different times. Well, yes. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Donovan. Hello. My name is Donovan Luhila. I have uh, lived in Kenya now for the past five years. Um, I've lived in other countries besides Kenya. Uh, after Zambia, I went to Mozambique, where we lived with my wife for about four and a half years. From there, we moved to South Africa, where we lived for another seven and a half years. From there is when we went uh, to, or whether when we went to, when we came to Kenya, sorry, mm -hmm. and I've been here for five years now. Okay. And Donovan, what's your home country, your passport country? My passport country is Zambia. Zambia. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, hi, I'm Suzanne Reindler. I've been in Kenya for four years now, and I'm basically in the process of packing up and repatriating back home again, um, looking back to maybe 10 postings. So um, I was quite lucky because my father was already living abroad and working as an expat in developing countries. So I lived in a lot of African countries, and um, later on, I moved on with my husband to work and live in South America, Russia, and now Kenya. So um, it's been a huge adventure. Um, I'm very familiar with the term trailing spouse. I've basically seen it with my mother, who was a generation before me. Um, basically, when the term was coined um, in a very traditional way, and now I've experienced it myself. So I'm very interested in the discussion we're going to have today about this. Well, thank you to all three of you for giving me your time and giving our listeners, I think, an opportunity to dig deep into this term. And, and let's just start there with the term itself. All of us kind of cringe when we hear it. Uh, that term trailing spouse feels very um, unconnected to who I am, yet it's the most recognizable term oftentimes for people like us who may be supporting a partner as they pursue an opportunity that we don't always have a chance to build our own professionals. So, Hannah, you, you kind of, before we were recording, you were mentioning that there's some other terms that have emerged. Um, but tell me, how does that term strike you and how have you wrestled with coming to terms with it? 
Yeah, there's a trailing part to it and there's a spouse part to it. Yes. And the spouse has traditionally, I think at least in, in where I've met it, has been uh, connotated with a lot of, you know, gin and tonics on the on the pa- on the patch <laughs> and um, tennis lessons mm-hmm. and you know those kind of sort of stereotypical <laughs> yes. uh, housewife. I'm now attending to the family and because the family and the kids is going to are going to schools, then we have a lot of time to ourselves and we can just you know hang out and be mm-hmm. have fun. Yeah. Um, and that is not life, <laughs> you know. That's not how it is in right. any way. Even even if you're not professionally minded and you do, you never came with the dream to actually do something professionally, there's a lot more to it than the gin and tonics that you might have once yeah. in a while if you're into that, or the glass of wine. So a new term is trailblazing partner, uh, and thinking that it's better to trailblaze than to just trail. Um, unfortunately, one person that I heard. Um, that had started using that term. Her husband came up to her later and just called her a trailer. And then I think <laughs> then maybe the point... We should have her on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, just exactly. See how they're doing. <laughs> yeah. I think they still love each other. But uh, nevertheless, I mean, it just comes... It's all the connotations that yeah. are put to whatever word it is because it's, it's, you're seen as someone who's just adding on to, to the important person. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people don't realize what that actually means, well, what that implies. That's exactly. And, you know, there's um, there's a legal component of it, you know, that you get to the airport or you get mm-hmm. to that embassy when you're first processing your papers to come into a country and reside there. And there's the, always a question of who the, um, I don't know if they use the word primary, but I know my, the term dependent. I also hear is dependent. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Is that, who, that I'm the dependent. I have a dependent pass. So that word is loaded, too, mm-hmm. to be a dependent. I don't think any of us as grown adults want to consider ourselves dependent it's, it's a it's in and um, on uproot we talk a lot about language and why words matter but I don't know Suzanne do you feel similarly you, you referenced your mom was this a term that you ever heard as a child growing up is it something that you heard your mom or your parents or their group of friends talk about and and what do you make of the term now in 2019 mm-hmm. interesting question well I think back in the day it wasn't as big a deal to trail behind your husband, right? It was mm. expected of you when your husband comes home from work, show the rosy-cheeked kids, you know, well-fed, <laughs> ready, yeah. and the husband comes home to the perfect house. Mm. And um, I guess, you know, many might dream back to this time, but for women, a lot has changed. So the term, actually, trailing spouse, is quite recent in the developments because I think for many of us women... You know, the huge discussion is about the division of labor in the house. Even though you're the one who's working, do I really have to do everything, you know, from bringing the kids to school to dealing with the teachers all by myself while you're off visiting other places? Um, I also have to think of, you know, the discussion I think Melinda Gates, she just brought out a new book. Yeah. I'm very inspired by it because she basically... What, do you know the title of that book? I'm, I'm trying it's to... called The Moment of Lift. The Moment of Lift. What a beautiful and, title. Yeah. And I think uh, here she goes on talking about the division of labor that I think in the US it's now 90 minutes the woman yes. works more. Per day. And in developing countries, I think it's five hours. So I think all of this basically you know, is also an influence on how we as partners see the role of a trailing spouse. So a trailing spouse is always negative in a way. It's always frowned upon because they don't want us to work. They're frightened of us. They don't want us to, you know, they think we have so many benefits, but we have no status and the company doesn't really want us to whine. So it's always very tricky to be a trailing spouse because you're not you're not a very loved group, right? Yeah. And then you go to school, they don't really like trailing spouses because they have too much time to complain. <laughs> right. You know, so it's it's a kind of very un um yeah. it's it's not a very well loved group and no one has sympathy for them because they think, Oh look what you're earning, ha huh? yeah. you know, who are yeah. you to complain? Why don't you just go back home? So it's a very unpopular group in a way. To me, trading sounds a little bit negative. It doesn't, you know, say much that is positive about the the spouse. And in your mind, it conjures up, uh, you know, an image of somebody that's left behind and having to play catch up and, you know, that sort of thing. And I don't think it's always like that. Uh, Like Suzanne said, maybe many years ago that used to be the case but things have changed a lot including the fact that it's not just uh, 
women that are trailing these days. Uh, I'm, I'm a man. Um, I'm the one that didn't have a job coming yeah. to Kenya. My wife is the one that has a job, and so I would be classified as trailing partner. Yeah. But very often, uh, couples sit down and discuss uh, transition, discuss jobs, and discuss where they're going to go to next. And uh, they, if they do that and they agree, then it's a mutual decision. I don't see it hmm. so much as uh, trailing, but as okay. a family sure. moving from one uh, location to yeah. a new location where hopefully both of them will benefit. Yeah. Yes. So. so let me ask you that just to follow up, because I think you make a good point that um, we all have our own agency and hopefully are in partnerships where we can drive decisions, for, mm-hmm. certainly for our family. But then I guess my question to you to follow up to that is, but do you then arrive at a new post with your own ambitions, with your own expectation for what this next, you know, three or four years that you might have in a country might contribute to your personal or professional growth? Correct. I actually came to Kenya expecting that I would eventually be able to, you know, enter the job market. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I uh, arrived here, I found it wasn't as straightforward as that. Yeah. And uh, yes, it's very difficult to get a permit, work permit, if you have come on a dependent uh, a permit. And it's just not easy to break into the job market yeah. in Kenya. Yeah. And not just Kenya. I, uh, yeah, many, many the, the last country I lived in was the same. It was very, very difficult. Yeah. To, uh, to break into the job mar- market, though I came with the hope that maybe things would work out and I would also be able to work. So then has that, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but has that misalignment with your expectation and then the reality, has that changed your experience here? Maybe in a small way. I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's changed it a lot because, uh, you know, you, you go into a new country, you, you must be expectant of either things working out or maybe not working out. So hmm. things didn't work out as I expected, but I think I'm still fine having lived here. Okay. Uh, okay. It's not something I see as, as a negative. And I have found a few things here and there that have kept me occupied, have, have yeah. kept me busy. Um, yeah, the, and we'll come to that, the uh, why. Right. So, what, how, what do you do with that time or mm-hmm. that opportunity when, yeah, your expectations it, are not necessarily met? Right. Yeah, I would tell you that uh, one commodity that I don't seem to have a lot of is time. Hmm. Even with not being in a full-time job, <laughs> yeah, yeah. somehow you get yes. to find things that uh, keep you busy, keep you Absolutely. going and so forth. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. Thank right. you for that. And we'll, we'll come back to that because I think what we do, whether you're a trailing spouse internationally mm. or domestically, if you're in your home country and have just had to shift locations because of work opportunities, mm. that still becomes a question of identity, I think, of, of how you spend your time. And mm. so we'll, we'll come back to how... We make value out of out of time. Honey, you wanted to chime in. Yeah, just there was there's two um, terms that sprang out of what Donovan was saying. One one is the trait of being flexible. I think that's something you learn quite quickly when you first enter into this role that you have to sort of be flexible with both your both your own expectations mm. and and the country you arrive in, whoever is around you. But the other one was the term. The other term that's coming up regarding. Um, the role that we're in, or, or the couples that Susanna mentions, is the dual dual career uh, couples. That that you no longer you try no longer to talk about the one part distinguished from the other, but you're going mm. as a couple. As a couple. If yeah. you go as a couple, of course, yeah. some people travel on their own. But if you go as a family or as a couple, then you're a dual career couple. So you're actually see- seeking out possibilities for both. Per- persons and it doesn't necessarily always work out which which leaves the one for maybe a time or for a long time like donovan Mm. in a situation where you are more more prone to Mm. to um yeah to 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 staying in that sort of spouse role right inverted commas yeah did you want to Just to quickly respond? comment yeah. on the dual uh, couple uh, idea, uh, it, it seems to have worked very well for a friend of mine who recently left Kenya and moved to, to the States. Um, whoever, I think the company that was uh, organizing his permits and so forth, they also worked 
in, uh, into the deal a permit, a work permit for, for his wife. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, within two or three weeks of their arriving, she was also able to, to get a, yeah, a job. Yeah, and some so. organizations do a better job of that. I right, know I've so. had a couple of job interviews with... Um, uh, maybe I shouldn't name who, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then later been told, thank you for applying. We really liked you. However, we had to give it to an internal candidate. And then mm. I'll say, okay, and you know, wonder why they posted something that was going to go to internal. To internal then to find out later on that that internal candidate was the partner of a current employee mm. that they wanted to accommodate. And I think some organizations do that better. They, they think about mm. this family unit and that in order to have a happy employee that it needs to be a happy partnership, which is something I hope is changing and hoping something that's rising to the, the fore. So we've, we've mentioned it just in brief a few, a few moments ago, but Susanna and, uh, Suzanne and uh, Hane are both uh, co-founders with Anita Shankar of Here We Are Kenya, which has been a fantastic addition to the Nairobi community. And I don't want to put a definition to it, so I'll let you two uh, brilliant women who are co-founders kind of tell us, what is Here We Are Kenya? What was the purpose? And then I'd love to hear from you how, what the response has been after you've introduced this organization to the community. Mm. I don't know who wants to start, but... Here We Are Kenya is... Um it's a network for, originally we, we termed it, and we, that's when we, when we really struggled with the terms, uh, the trailing spouses, yes. the partners, the, the ones who are coming along without a contract, uh, the <laughs> dual careers, whatever. We, have, we tried a lot of different words and, and, and sometimes made fun of it also. Um, but but an, a network for, for those of us, we are all the three of us, four of us sitting here in the same position, um, to, to have a, a platform or a place to meet and inspire each other and get professional inputs uh, to, to get those connections going and also to get inspired to moving beyond the expectations that you maybe had before you arrived. Because, because sometimes we ca some of us come without expectations, which can be good and bad, and some of mm. us come with a lot of expectations, which can also be good and bad because you then meet the reality of oh, work permit is not going to work out, or mm -hmm. uh, logistic of life uh, is not going to work with me having full-time, 10 weeks of summer holiday, what do you do with the kids, you know, whatever. It can be so many different, uh, different mm -hmm. things that means that you are not able to, even if you could, take on that full-time position. So having a place where you can build, and we usually say build on those business cards, so that when you add that... The, um, Dinner, like you said at the, in your yeah. intro, uh, when you get asked what what do you do, then you have a variety of things. Well, right now my hat is or my business card is that I'm interested in this or that. When I was back home or when I was in the previous country, I was doing this or that. So you you, you sort of expand on on things, and sometimes it's things that you don't know that you are to expand on until you suddenly bump into someone who inspires you and you. Or something gets, you know, some is co-created out of meeting meeting yeah. someone. So a space for the, for all that to happen, and that is then monthly meetings in in Kenya now. Yeah, I, I like how when you send out your um, reminders to sign up for the next meeting, that you always say which meeting it is, how many you've had. So how many here we are Kenya meetings have there been so far? Twenty four. Twenty four, which is outstanding. That's every month. There's a, a is there a break during Yeah, there's a break during the, the school the terms. The yeah. school yeah. So, so following the school year, yeah. the the major breaks we have to break because a of lot course, of the people, people are not here. Are, yeah. But I, I love that idea of also because to me I think for people who have such fluid lives and sometimes are here so short then go on. That this is our twenty fourth meeting. I don't know, there's something about naming that that makes me feel very proud of the effort and the, the consistency and the follow through that you've put into it because I think sometimes part of this life is not being able to follow through something and you start something somewhere then you have to shift and mm. just it just speaks to here we are we are still here 24 <laughs> meetings later we're still here contributing yeah. something and providing a space for people to connect professionally or network or share interests I like that word interest I'm going to mm. come back to that mm -hmm. Suzanne I'd love to hear from you you were part of that startup team were you surprised by the response? And what has the response been in the Nairobi community to this opportunity to gather once a month and, and share these experiences? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for all these lovely words. I think um, that's beautiful. We've been called like, oh, the diplomatic wives club <laughs> and the spouses drinking tea clubs. So oh, thank no. you very much for understanding what we actually do. Um, well, basically what we did when we came, when we sat together is we looked at our own situation 
the visa situation in Kenya and then also looked at some numbers. So basically, um, the thing is when you come to Kenya or the other difficult countries, it's basically not allowed to work. If your husband is here or your partner is here, you, you automatically get a dependent pass, which means you have no right to volunteer, you have no right to work. Um, so it's a very depressing state. And of course, this entails the question, what am I actually going to do if I'm not even allowed to volunteer? Well, um, you are allowed to volunteer, but you have to buy a visa and go through a very long process. Um, so this is basically the f where we sat together and said, let's change this. There is something to do here. And let's make this meaningful. There's so much talent here. Uh, and we also looked at numbers saying, I think from one of the recent uh, mobility trends surveys says that um, around 80% of the 80 to 90% of the expat partners cannot work. Um, are not working when they're abroad, uh, be it because of language issues, because of visa issues. So we have about eight, a huge market of people who are all in a similar position. And then we just decided, okay, there are different groups that cater to different needs. You know, not any everyone's abroad and wants to work, right? So we just said we knew exactly who our target group was. I think that was the key thing. And we um, really researched a lot and we tried to um, message very clearly to our target group. Mm -hmm. So then when the first meeting came, um, you know, we expected maybe 20, 30 people to come. That's usually what happens to American women, South African women's clubs. And we were completely astounded. We had like more than 60 to 70 people coming for our very first meeting. So if you're asking me, you know, what my first impression was, it was it was far beyond what we had expected, but also showed how, what a big need there was. Yeah. And, um, you know, and we felt we could really touch some people's lives, yeah. you yeah. know, and as we couldn't volunteer or do anything, this felt like this is a mission maybe we could take on for our time here. And, you know, I think I, I've been able to come to several meetings, and I think what I appreciate about it is that the topics do vacillate from you know, tightening up your LinkedIn profile and, mm. you know, improving your CV to stories from people who have started charitable organizations or small businesses or people who have navigated the work permit process and sharing those learning experiences or those best practices. And oftentimes these kind of sharing happens informally. You, you meet somebody, you know, your kids are friends or something and, and you have, oh, I didn't know I could do that. But what I appreciate so much about this is that it's a it's a open to anyone Resources are shared widely. There's follow-up to say, if you didn't make it here, the resources, so that people do have somewhere to go and connect. I think that clarity of your target audience also provides clarity for those people in that position to also find a, a resource for them that I, I think heretofore really has not existed. Um, and I appreciate everything you've said about dispelling some of these myths that Donovan, from you, to, you know, that we don't have as much time as people think we do, <laughs> and that with that time, we are not you know, sitting around there is a tension, though, I think, that exists nonetheless, because I think, um, you know, we're all in Kenya, and Kenya is a place that people tend to stay a long time. It's it's a lovely place to live. There are beautiful, wonderful things to experience here. It's um, accessible in terms of opportunities, a very entrepreneurial city, Nairobi is anyways, and people, you know, dream mm -hmm. here and, and start things here if they can. Um, and sometimes, over the length of someone is staying here, a tension does develop between being home but not being home, um, and then still honoring your host country. And, and we talk about this a lot on the show about, you know, um, that duality that exists in our identities. Um, so I guess I, I'd be curious to hear from, from I, any of you, through Here We Are or through your other networks, do you see some common threads amongst people who are in the position of being a trailing spouse? Do you see both good and bad, whether it's a tenacity of spirit or if it's other things that creep up because they've stayed a long time and you start to get <laughs> restless. Um, but I'd be curious to hear if you feel like there is, yeah, there is kind of a profile maybe of that mm -hmm. trailing spouse that emerges after some time in a country. Anyone want to take that on? Okay. <laughs> That's a big question. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, well, basically, I think everyone who takes on this is an adventurer at spirit, right? I mean, you, or you get money thrown at you maybe, or you get um, the idea that your husband or so one of you could get a promotion. But at the end of the day, you know, you dive into a place you've never been before, you don't know anything about. So I think what everyone has in common is we're real adventurers. 
and we're risk takers because you give up everything at home, uh, your job, your normal life, right? Um, so I can actually say everyone who comes here is a risk taker. You don't know how it's going to end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't know your path. Um, so I do think that's what a lot of us have in common here. They're all very open-minded or the ones who survive longest are actually yeah. very open-minded um, and, you know, want to learn. They don't come here to to tell people, but they actually want to learn and want to understand. At least these are the success yeah. stories. And um, in terms of the trailing spouses, uh, the word we don't want to use, um, a lot of them, interestingly enough, who come to Here We Are, are actually life coaches. Mm -hmm. um, and you kind of feel, okay, maybe because, you know, they've been transitioning so often, they've gone through so much that they feel, you yeah, know, we, we, we can actually that. share yeah. our experiences of walking on fire or whatever um, the experience is similar to. Yeah, those are my mm. observations. Yeah, yeah, I'm just thinking that there's... Yeah, they, I definitely agree with you, Susanna, but I also think that there's uh, there's also the... The backside, the flip side of the coin is that there are also some. There will be risk takers in moving, but then they then they get stunned by uh, by, own by yeah just, yeah I own courage or or just stunned by being in a place where where I don't understand you know maybe the culture maybe the language even though I mean they might not speak speak English especially I've met it in non English speaking people from non English speaking countries. Uh, or people or places where you don't necessarily learn English as uh, as most of Europe does, um, and then they, you know, the the what what it still requires with here we are or with any other network is that you get out, and there are still people in the city, and that I think is I've met some through my practitioner practicing as a as a coach, mm -hmm. uh, and it's scary to see that there are still people who sit and has sat for years. Back yeah. home, only with a very few sort of relations to to people around them, so so there is a need. I mean, and not, clearly these people are, are also. I mean, they're they're the same role, but they but the flip side is that if you don't dare, if if your if your daring only reaches to getting you to the country, but mm -hmm. not out into the reality of that country in what in whatever way, whether it's with here we are or something else, um, then then you are in for a tough time. Yeah. And I think that isolationism is both self-imposed sometimes out of, yeah, the fear of, of what mm -hmm. it would take to integrate fully into community and sometimes the barriers like language that exists yeah. that you have to navigate. And that isolationism actually is, is quite tied to this definition of trailing. It's, mm -hmm. It does cause that feeling, I think, of like, I'm just along for the ride when I don't have my own networks, I don't have my own colleagues, I don't have my own kind of identity outside of we are here with this mission for these many years to do this task, you know. Um, Donovan, I, a, a large part of why I wanted to make sure that we had you here is we wanted a male voice as a part of this conversation. You know, we know that primary caregiving worldwide and globally, no matter what the country is, predominantly done by women. Um, we know that within the trailing spouse community, it tends to be, some statistics say, about 80%. Are, are the partner that is quote unquote trailing is is a woman, and so mm -hmm. I think you have a unique perspective on it. Um, yeah, both because you're Donovan, and that's just <laughs> full stop, and then also because you're a man in this role. So I, I'd be curious to hear from you if you think there are any unique challenges for you as a man in this in this role, or if there's some unique benefits from being um, yeah the male occupant of that space of that trailing quote unquote partner. Well, I would say maybe both uh, angles, uh, both points are, uh, are true that there are challenges and there are also some benefits. I see some of the challenges being uh, the fact that maybe the country that you're coming from, um, as, as, as a man, you, you, you had a job and so you were not the primary caregiver. Now you come to a different country where the woman or the lady is, a, is, is, the, is a, the bread earner, so to speak, and uh, roles are therefore reversed. It's almost like you have to start learning to mm. be the primary mm. caregiver, yeah. which you were, where you, you were not before. But obviously that also means it challenges you then to, to do things that you did not do before, that you didn't maybe have any motivation to do you are put in a situation where you have to, to learn. And um, 
if you are a flexible person like I think I am, then maybe it doesn't become too much of a challenge. It's something yeah. that you eventually learn to, to run with. Yeah. So let me yeah. ask you, and I'm going to push you a bit here, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's also unique that we're in sub-Saharan Africa. And so we are in the midst of patriarchal societies. Mm. I can imagine there have been more than one occasion, I'm sure, where you're out with your family and people make assumptions about right. what you do, what uh, your lovely wife, Christine, does and, and what your family, you know, roles are. How do you navigate that um, kind of within our African context, uh, you know, being a Zambian yourself? How, how do you how do you navigate that? Has that presented unique? Um, I don't it, know. it is a little difficult to, uh, I mean, the question you, you ask, somebody comes up to you and out of the blues, they, they just assume you are the yeah. breadwinner or you yeah. are the, the one that works yeah. in, in the family. And um, Every time it's asked, or that question has been asked of me, it's almost like it's the first time. It's always... <laughs> it's <laughs> Every always time like, feels like the first time. Every time, time it feels oh, like yeah. the first time. And yeah. It, uh, you know, um, puts you in an awkward position. But I have uh, learned to just, you know, uh, pull back and say, well, uh, the job that brought us here is actually my wife's job. And... Um, I'm not doing anything at the moment as far as uh, full-time employment, but I have things that keep me busy. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's hard, <laughs> yeah, so that question. What do you it's, do? It's, it's yeah, very difficult. It's just, yeah, yeah, it's just difficult. Yeah, and I, I like what um, I think Suzanne or Hani, I don't remember who mm-hmm. said it, but something about um, introducing yourself also by saying, you know, my name is Lily and I'm interested in, you know, child mm-hmm. health or nutrition and global Migration. I mean, I, I love that idea of not saying what you do, but mm-hmm. answering maybe by what you're interested in, because then it speaks to who you are. This is who I am, and my identity is not actually the job, right, or the role. Yeah, and one thing is uh, identifying to the role, to the to yeah, the role, not the not the job. Mm-hmm. Because I found what what I mean before we started here, we are Kenya was what I found myself saying. Well, people come up and what brought you here? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. That those are the two questions. And well, I'm my husband works at. Uh, or my kids go to school at, and my kids don't speak English, so therefore, and I found myself re- at that my relation to other to my family was the reason for me being here, hmm. whereas that was never the idea, of course. I mean, we knew that that yeah. was going to be a transition period and a hmm. settling period, but but I was full time working before we left, so of course there was going to be not necessarily a full time job, but a but a transitioning into something that was my identity. Mm-hmm. So I think that the pathway and the stepping stones of getting into whatever new business card, call it business card or or call it hat or call it role that you can actually identify with so that you have that Teflon that when you ask, as Donovan say, all five years into it, still like the first time you <laughs> ask that question, that you just have an automatic response saying, well, I'm not, I'm no longer touched by that question in a, in a bad way, but mm. it's just, you know, I'm here and I'm yeah. proud to be here yeah. because I'm doing a lot of really good and interesting stuff. Yeah. It might not be paid all of it. It yeah. might not be what you, what you perceive being a role. It might not have a business card officially, but... I'm I'm yeah. I'm moving yeah. and I'm moving I'm finding my path and then that person who asked you is like oh, oh okay okay yeah <laughs> and then exactly. they feel awkward so, and like, yeah okay. rather they rather no challenge up. challenge yeah. the Teflon of others uh, oh, by like having that. your own Teflon right I like yeah. that I like so that a bit of it obviously like you said then it, it gives you time to do things and one of the things that I've found to do is to do some training so I'm currently involved in. Uh, uh, some training that I hope will pay off in the long term. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. There's an opportunity for that. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, Suzanne, I'd love to hear from you. You've had so many moves both as a child and now as an adult. As you look back over, how, how many, you said it at the beginning, how many countries you've lived in? Total? Uh, ten. Ten, ten countries. countries. That, yeah. that's, that's not insignificant. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, you know, is there anything that you would do differently if you had the opportunity to kind of start your global journey over again as you kind of reflect back, especially maybe on your years in Kenya and now transitioning back, quote unquote, home? I, we, I wish people could see us. I end up air quoting so much on the show. But, you know, we talk a lot about home, you know, and, and all that here, too. So as you go back home to Germany, any, anything you'd do differently? Oh, okay, that's a tricky one to ask. <laughs> that's a very good question. Well, we have a life well, coach here, so if you need help, we, we can help navigate. I'll pick you up. <laughs> well, you know, um, 
considering the amazing adventures we had and how unifying as a family, in many cases, it was to travel. Um, of course, I would never change my life. I do it exactly the same. Um, having said that, I would change a few elements, uh, maybe of my own... I'd probably try and be more selfish. Um, that's definitely what I would do mm -hmm. differently. When I think of how many years I've also trailed with my husband's company, and basically only in Kenya have I ever you know, told, raised my voice and said, look, I'm so fed up, I've been doing this, <laughs> and I've come to a country where it's the most difficult to work. You know, I've kept reinventing myself every single place. Mm. Um, I'm really fed up, and I've just had enough. And um, it's amazing that once you actually tell your husband, please tell them, um, it's changed a lot. And I wish I would have done that earlier because mm. I was always, oh, don't worry, I'll find something, and it's okay, I'll be here. So actually... Um, becoming more selfish in the sense of thinking of your own CV mm -hmm. and what's going to happen with you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I definitely changed yeah. that. Yeah, mm -hmm. because, you know, I think, and I appreciate what you're saying so much because we all do live as, as guests in this country and there's a certain amount of privilege that comes with that. So then if you want to assert a concern or, a, you know, an issue that you're having, it's, it's hard. You, I, I have felt guilty sometimes to demand more right. when I already have so much mm -hmm. and, you know, all the things that come with this life. And yet part of making meaning out of here is also having something that fulfills you and, and demanding that that is a part of the consideration of both the employer or also your family decision-making. I, I really appreciate uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that. And what you say about the self-worth, it's also one of these things, a lot of trainings or whatever we do, we always ask to do it for free because they say, oh, come on, your husband's working and you can do this, come on, volunteer. And well, here we can't officially, but you know, you always ask to go beyond your value. And after many years, you kind of question like, what value do I still have? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this also goes along with, you yeah. know, the years of um, being abroad. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, are, are there things that we've kind of talked about already, kind of the things that are misunderstood about the stereotype and some things that we feel like are not true of, of what we have observed either from ourselves or, or others in our community? Um, but from those stereotypes and maybe from some of the, you know, the experiences that you've had, what do you feel like is true? Maybe you anticipated it before you arrived or maybe it's something that you hear people saying back home. I, I know, for example, uh, when we go back home to the United States during the summertime, I have some girlfriends I catch up with, and they'll always ask me, how are the desperate housewives of Nairobi? You know? <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's become a joke, and I know that they don't mean it. But at the same time, I feel a little bit defensive, like you were saying. You know, it's been years of this, and I still get the question. And so on the one hand, I say, you know, there's not desperate partners, by the way. It's not just housewives. <laughs> but um, but, but then I also do say, I do see some, you know, misbehavior at times and I and I see also you know the contrast of that two people who have really given their heart and soul to to make um, their Nairobi years really rich so I don't know if you would look at um, perceptions from people who have at home of your lives and what you do and and the reality what are the things that people get right and what are the things that they completely have no idea about your global lives and your experiences um there's, I mean, it differs a lot, of course, depending on who, you, who you're with and how knowledgeable they are. I mean, we have a lot of friends back home that have also been traveling and, and have been living abroad. And of course, they then have a different perspective. And yet again, I sense or you, I think you sense it immediately when people have moved back home and settled into whatever culture. Um, I mean, in Denmark and the welfare system and all that uh, is, is maybe a, a special situation in that case. But but um, they, I mean, they do they they do get and they don't get the 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 curious lifestyle, the adventure. I mean, we've been telling ever since we arrived here or were going here with the kids. The conversation was that we're going on a huge adventure. You're going to learn a different language. We're going to be in a different culture. We're going to be with the entire world around us. Um, we're going to try and balance the bubble of that international life with the, the national cultural setting of being in Kenya, which is a whole other issue of how mm. you do that. Um, and people sometimes get that and sometimes they just do not get that at all, that that's a juggle, that it actually requires a lot of uh, 
of intention and intentional steps mm. on your on your behalf to not just become one of the floating floating crew of of expats that that live their lives within the bubble constantly. Yeah. And so I think that's yeah. part of the stereotype, right? Yeah. You you could mm. very well just arrive here, make a tennis, find a tennis partner. Find the local, the local joint for gin and tonic yeah. place, and and that could be your life yeah. very easily here. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I and I've only lived in t- uh, two countries outside my passport country, and I would say that's true in either places. Mm-hmm. And I've witnessed mm-hmm. that being mm-hmm. true in either place. Mm-hmm. Or you could be intentional and make inroads into meaningful relationships, and it doesn't have to mm-hmm. be anything connected to paid employment. It could be something different. So I, I would love to hear from you, if, mm. uh, whether in Kenya or other countries you lived out, what have been those meaningful experiences that have made you know, this opportunity as, if we think of it, as we, if we reframe it as an opportunity to be a s- supporting partner, trailing spouse, what we really got to find a better <laughs> word, but um, the here we are spouse or here we are partner, mm-hmm. um, what has been meaningful for you in these opportunities um, that you... Yeah, we're not necessarily the primary income earner for your family. What what has been made it meaningful? Let me just quickly say, uh, for me, an intentional step I took was to start learning the local language, uh, Swahili. And I'm still learning, but at least um, I've advanced enough that I will understand a lot of what a speaker is saying if, if yeah. they are speaking Swahili. So that was intentional, but it, it, it helps with helping me to fit better into the local situation. I was with you in that first class, and I did not persist. <laughs> so <laughs> bravo to you, Hongera. I'm you. continuing you. with your Swahili, because it's absolutely... It's Absolute intention that, mm. that was helps you to acquire a language. Susanna and I met also was oh, in six-month okay. intensive three times a week for several hours. Swahili class. Yes. Yeah, fantastic. And, and how's your Swahili now? Bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, looking back, I think I wouldn't have done such a long... Looking back, asking about my time in Kenya, I think I would have done it differently. I would have done a Kiswahili class in Tanzania. Mm. Or I would have... Because I do realize that the Kenyans speak English so well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You kind of have to have a realistic look at the country every time because mm. especially now being my 10th country, you know, uh, how many times have I tried learning a language and then you feel I'm such a failure. I You're can't still do this. trying though? I think that's remarkable. <laughs> I don't think I would still be trying. I mean, but I didn't I, even well, finish Swahili. Class, but I mean, so. one thing is right. that we don't speak, speak Swahili uh, after okay. even that intensive right. uh, yeah. effort. Um, but what we also got out of those six months, and I think that's the same for you, Donovan, I, I'm guessing, that that being in that class and being intentional about wanting to just at least get an idea of what the language is yes. made up from yes. is also a conversation with a teacher who knows everything about that culture. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and being and, and language teachers are the ones that can that will have all the small, you know, understanding of why Matatu is called a Matatu, yeah. there's the local bosses here. Yeah. And, you know, all those small things that just makes you feel that, oh, I have an understanding of where I am, yeah. at least on some level. Yeah. And then of course you can venture into getting out of the bubble in so many other ways but 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 it's a good starting point um and often you know it's it's often not the the result that counts but it's the path leading you there i mean if i hadn't done these intensive kiswili classes i wouldn't know hannah that well and know how what perseverance what stamina she has and i knew she'd be the perfect partner because of what we did so often you just go and you have to go out there, I think. Um, so if you ask me what's meaningful, um, what are meaningful moments, it's actually finding out that, you know, just dare yourself. Just go. If you're missing something that's not in the country, then just start and say, okay, we'll build it then. And you'll find people on the way who are going to join you on the mission. Um, and that's so rewarding. Um, I I think I told Hannah many times my story in Russia. We were trying to get out two boys on a football on the football teams, on really good ones, but it wasn't allowed for non-nationals to join the teams. So then I said, okay, well, so we're just gonna make our own team, right? And then we managed to build up a school team. We had a lot of people joining us. And in the end, you know, our team made it to the fourth best team in Moscow and we were playing on the red square. And this, me being someone who was never really interested in football, but it showed me you know, you can do anything and um, you can be anyone you want to be. And I think this is what you learn when you live outside your comfort zone, like mm-hmm. how much you can actually do if you just go your way. Absolutely. Yeah. But it, but it yeah. takes that first step. 
Uh, and I think step, so. Yeah. So courageous. I mean, being some sort of courage, and courage comes in in mm. a lot of different uh, forms and and uh, shapes. Um, so, and then the flexibility that we touched upon before. You know that if that you, because if you come in and you think I am definitely in this country going to do, I'm yes, going to set up a football yes. league, or I'm going to set up a, that company, or I'm going whatever whatever it might be that you're that you think. If you're that firm in your arrival, and then are hit by by, by reality, by reality <laughs> whatever reality also is, then then you can quickly get disillusioned, and then it might be difficult to do that. Yeah. But I mean, I've been called courageous for turning up at a yoga class yeah. on my own, and and I'm like, oh, I mean, I do that at home readily. Uh, but but it's, and and so so courage comes in in a lot of forms, and to some people that was a courageous step, and I'm like. Okay, so of course there's also different personality types that arrive in in and and we are many. I mean, everyone yeah. is different. So, yeah. but, but finding know, the first step yeah. and whatever mm-hmm. your first step is. Uh, yeah, and I'd like to just interject there too because I think I, I couldn't agree with you more that courage comes in all different shapes and sizes. And and um, you know, I have not lived in any of your lives, so you may you may not agree with me. But I also do think that. That, to me, someone saying it's courageous to go to yoga class means that person did not know enough about Kenya or Nairobi before arriving here and had put on this city mm-hmm. a lot of assumptions that were based on poor data or misinformation. And I just think before you arrive in a country, I think this is where maybe um, th- that, that spectrum of trailing spouse, just like there's a spectrum of humanity and, and no matter what we talk about, nurses or teachers or whomever, there's going to be a spectrum, right? Of from mm-hmm. good to bad. Mm-hmm. True. And I think those people who arrive in a country don't know who the president is, don't know the kind of governments that set up there, do keep people, people keep left or right. What's the history? Mm-hmm. And then find going to yoga courageous means they arrived here expecting, I don't know, a war torn country. And then all of a sudden are <laughs> delighted to know that they can go and get some Bikram in on the weekend. So mm-hmm. I just think, you know, I, not mm-hmm. to say that it's not a valid point, but I do think that part of our um, responsibility, and this is not necessarily specific to being a trailing spouse, no matter if we are the primary entry into a country, we have a responsibility to know about that country and understand it enough to honor its customs and its culture and not find that courageous in my small opinion. But anyway, I don't know what their experience is, so maybe they have a reason for finding that courageous. But I just think, you know, mm-hmm. that's where I think the misbehavior comes in with uh, the trailing piece of it, is that when mm-hmm. you do have too much time, and, and I remember I was on the board of my children's school, and in the governance handbook that's not written by the school, it's an international guide, they talk about all the different kind of people that end up on school boards. And there's actually a section that says, beware of. And (laughs) the beware of, the first person on that beware of list is the trailing spouse who has too much time on their hands, as you were referencing earlier, Suzanne, (laughs) who gets involved in school, I can show it to you, Mm. in school politics or school governance, thinking that this is a way for them to contribute and become more professionally engaged. And I remember being quite stunned by that um, and felt it was quite not only an unfair characterization, but what a loss for a school community or if Mm. they said we don't want to engage with this group of people who could contribute so much. Mm. Mm -hmm. On the other side of the spectrum, though, certainly that must have been informed by some experiences that said people who were lawyers in their previous life and arrive in a country and volunteer for to be the school, you know, treasurer on the PTO or something, now take it to another level that it doesn't need to be. So, you know, we all have, there's always complexity, no matter where we are, no matter what our role is. But um, Mm -hmm. anyways, uh, it's not a necessarily unique point to trailing spouses, but certainly something that surprised me when I read that text that, yeah, that we have to define ourselves for for others, Mm -hmm. oftentimes, but also be aware of the baggage and experiences that people may have had um, with people like us. So I'd love to hear from each one of you, just in brief, as we kind of uh, wrap our show today, how has your identity changed over the years? Has the experience of, Hannah, you know, working full-time, then engaging in a country where you kind of helped navigate your family through this pretty significant transition, um, you know, Donovan in your own way, Suzanne, as your multiple countries, are you trying to go for like an even dozen countries? <laughs> do you have any goals in mind or do you think this is it? Well, the great thing is you never have rules or principles anymore. <laughs> you just take life as it comes. <laughs> I, I want to be more like you. I need to, my husband would love for me to be more like you, just take it as it comes. <laughs> but I would love to hear from each of you, you know, has your identity changed over the years as a result of your experience specific to this idea of kind of being in the trailing position? 
I think to some extent, yes. Um, you cannot remain the same person after experiencing several cultures and uh, you know uh, being in different uh, countries. You you do tend to expand, uh, you know, your own culture, so to speak. You you are a different person in the end. Uh, you will just will not st stay the same. And um, I think for me, it's been a positive experience uh, living in Kenya, largely a positive experience, um, living in South Africa and Mozambique before that. So I may yeah. not even know fully what the extent of the change is to myself, mm. but I can only assume that all of it has been positive and therefore yeah. I'm a different person. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, but I think you're right that it's 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 hard to measure on yourself. You measure where where I sense it is when we go back uh, for the summers um, and you meet people that you, I mean, you still relate to, still great friends, still family. But you do, that's where you realize, oh, my my viewpoint or my kids' viewpoint has changed. Mm -hmm. um, and coming, I've, I mean, for us coming here with three relatively young kids and. And seeing them transition has been has also changed our identities as, mm. as their as parents, a family, even as maybe a family. Yeah. So the whole family has mm. sort of grown. So yes, I have changed because of also specifically because of the role because I came with no with no uh, you know no no expectations and yet tons of expectations mm. and then hit the wall of of work permits and stuff. And it's always extremely important to me to say that that mm. whenever we complain about work permits and difficulties in relation to getting jobs as a, as the partner it is the same in Europe it's the absolutely. same in the, in the States, same in the US everywhere. absolutely so is, yep. so just that we don't have it sort of Thank you pick, picking on picking on Africa as a continent for for being possessive of yeah. jobs for their own people absolutely. we do exactly the same um, but yes, definitely identity has changed. It's very difficult to pinpoint except for an openness. And uh, I mean, I've traveled a lot through my life even before I became a family and, and we moved here. But of course, there's certain skills. There's certain skill sets that has been developed more here. Um, there's certain certain roles that I'm now seen in that I wasn't. I mean, I was on Monday, I was in a panel as a stress coach. And I'm thinking that I've never been a stress coach back home before. Uh, so and now I'm here sitting as a trailing partner or, or founder of um, co-founder of Here We Are Kenya. So, you know, there's those are roles that, of course, impact on your on your identity to yeah. a certain extent. Yeah. You, you're you're like Hane 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, but, but I said but I do. I also believe that even if you had I'd been living in Denmark my entire life, there would also be a Hane 2.0. Sure. But it might sure. not be as recognized by others back home because yeah. it would I would be following the flow of my generation or my group yeah. of friends or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so the fact that you're taking yourself out of the known and putting yourself into the unknown and realizing that the flexibility and the courage and the steps that you have to to create yourself, reinvent yourself and settle in, uh, that also does something when you go home. And I'm sure yeah. I mean Susanna knows yeah. that repatriating is not easy either. Mm -hmm. So yeah. coming back home you do the whole thing again. Right. Yeah. Even if right. home is home, right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, well in intercultural training we often say that, you know, intercultural sensitivity doesn't come naturally. So um, we say that, you know, every culture thinks their way of doing it is the right way. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I really, you know, every time I feel it, although it's my 10th posting, you still come with your set of values and you still think, you know, this is the right way to do it. And then you're taught every time, no, but there's also a completely different way of doing it. So I think that's why, you know, you change every time because um, you question yourself, you question your culture. It makes you stronger and uh, and you, um, yeah, it's just like a, a lot of adventure and craziness does transform you. Um, it would be a shame if it wouldn't. <laughs> um, so it's great, yeah. And, and so a lot of friends I think I had maybe 15 years ago, I probably would have different ones when I return now because mm. I've just changed so much and I think they have too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as we close out the show, if someone was to ask you today, or maybe when you go back to Germany, Suzanne, or others as we, as we approach maybe seeing family and friends in the upcoming months and weeks, when someone asks you, what do you do? 
How do you answer now? <laughs> oh, Lots of hacking. <laughs> hacking. <laughs> what I do is I'm a packer. I'm an official, a, a professional packer. <laughs> Anyone want to take that on? I mean, my my response now is that I'm I'm in I live in Kenya uh, and I I work uh, in different projects, but I'm a coach and a facilitator mm -hmm. and a trainer, and that's my background, and that's where my I mean, that's the path I'm on, but I'm on a journey. Okay. It's never, now, you say, even now, I don't have it as a pitch. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But that business card, Mrs. card is still, yes, still being yes, developed. Yeah. Yeah. I think yes. to some extent also, um, what do you do for me can't be answered with one single, uh, you know, statement, one single word, because it also changes from day to day. And today I'm doing this, I'm getting involved with uh, Here We Are Kenya, Tomorrow I'm doing some training. The other day I'm doing some loose consultancy, which I obviously cannot overemphasize because of <laughs> where we are. So it changes from day to day, but uh, I'm always um, getting involved in things. And yeah, well, I like that also that you've left it open. I, mm. I don't. I can be many things, and I do many things, and. You know, I can leave it at that almost. Yeah, I like that. I mean, what, one of my answers just thinking about now is that I do wonder walks, which is facilitated a coach walks for organizations and individuals. And the tagline that we have created there is explore the steps that define your journey. And I think that's really what any, whether with a contract or without a contract yeah. or a child or what I mean, that's you, you have to explore constantly. You have to be curious and courageous, but 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 the, if you don't have the curiosity with you, you close down and you stay with, and you stay with like Susanna said, you stay with the culture that was. Uh, then you don't, then then you'll never uh, yeah. sort of fix fit in yeah. or feel that you fit in and settle. Yeah. Probably, yeah. So then, how about you? What do you say when people ask you, "What do you do?" Well, I've just kind of found that a lot of people don't want to have such a deep answer. You know, it right. depends where they ask me. <laughs> Usually, I just say I'm an intercultural trainer and a business advisor, and that's it because that's all they want to hear. They want to hear a title, yeah. and you know, not your long story of the pains and the ups and downs. Right. So sometimes it's good just to have like one, one title. That's yes, what they're asking it's for. So true. It makes you feel good on a party, and that's it. Yes. But of course, if they go deeper. Absolutely. You can tell them the full story, which is far more interesting than your title. It is so much interesting than your title because it's who you are. It's who you are. It's right. not just your title. My, my kids will even ask me, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's a, not, another show. Another show, perhaps. But, uh, okay, can I quickly say, of course. Uh, my son one day, I think my wife asked him what he wanted to be. And he turned around and said, I, I want to be like my father and just completely do nothing. And I'm like... <laughs> But of course, uh, yeah. <laughs> that was his idea of uh, not going to work at 8 a.m. and coming back at 5. So whatever every else I was doing during the day was yeah, uh, unseen, to, unseen him. to him because he was away at, at school yeah, and so yeah. forth. Yeah, But also because you're a loving, wonderful father. So he's like, I want to be Thank like you. my dad. Yeah, But no, it's true. I mean, it's it's the seen and unseen and yeah, perfect topic for the next show about mm -hmm. the, the labor of parents in, in this role as well. Well, mm -hmm. thank you so much, Suzanne, Donovan, Hane, for being here today. It's been such a good conversation to have. We talk a lot um, on the show about defining ourselves and home, identity, culture, and Recently, I've been talking to kids, so it's nice to kind of round out these series of shows by talking to the other kind of the other extension of the family and the mm -hmm. parents who kind of make so much possible, um, but at the same time have their own kind of journey, as you said, honey, to to navigate. Thanks so much for listening to Uproot today. I hope you enjoyed what Hane, Suzanne, and Donovan had to share about their experiences. And I hope you heard a little bit about your own experiences in the middle of our conversation. I'm really grateful for the Aga Khan University Graduate School of Media and Communication, who hosted me today for this wonderful recording. And I want to tell you about their executive education program, where you can earn executive certificates in effective leadership, communication, and innovation. Workshops such as Communicating for Influence, Leadership Inside and Out, and Design Thinking for Business are all coming up in the month of June. And you can sign up now at www.akumedia.aku.edu. One more time, www.akumedia.aku.edu. 
I am particularly grateful for all of you for listening, and I would love to hear from you. You can reach me on the World Wide Web at uprootthepodcast.com. Also on Facebook and Instagram, same name, at uprootthepodcast. And I would love it if you would follow me on Twitter. I still only have like 52 followers. You can find me there at Uproot and Lil. That's L-I-L-L at the end. Thanks for listening, everyone. Talk to you soon. Thank you.